All right. Welcome back to Overengineered, the podcast where we ask the question, what's the absolute best way to do things we already have a perfectly acceptable solution for? Today, I'm here with Ian Landsman. Hey, Ian, you want to say hi? Hey, how are you? I'm good. I, I reached out to you a little while ago because I just thought it would be fun to talk. I didn't really have a game plan, but uh, I just I was interested in the fact that you and I have both been working on the same applications for a really long time. And when we started talking, we we thought, well, let's just uh, let's pick a topic and see where it goes. And and we started thinking about caching because I know you're in the the uh, I don't know. Would you say it's still the very early stages, or are you further along in this rewrite? I would say early stages. Still. Yeah. Yeah. But it sounds like you're already kind of thinking about these optimizations, and uh, it might just be sort of a fun thing to explore. But uh, I don't know. I say this every time, but I'm going to say it again. I I can't imagine that anyone who is listening to this podcast doesn't know who you are. But do you want to just do a a quick intro, just in case? Yeah, so I founded a company called Userscape 20 years ago. Our main product's a product called HelpSpot, which is a customer support application, help desk tool. And um, bootstrapped and profitable for every day of 20 years almost here. And uh, yeah, in terms of like the internet community, you know, been involved in Laravel since very early. Taylor worked at Userscape for almost three years run the first few Laracons, run Laracon Line, run Larajobs. So that's kind of my open source uh, community stuff, end of things. And then uh, HelpSpot is sort of the day in, day out business product. And yeah, that's kind of it. I still code, still like the code. That's kind of what got me into it to begin with. Um, definitely not seen some of the names you have on this list. I am not the level of coder of those people for the most part. <laughs> But I'm a serviceable coder. Uh, I'm a practical coder, which I think our topic is kind of good at because I feel like it's one of those sort of like real world things that you hit um, versus just like architecture, astronaut type stuff. Uh, This is like a real problem that real applications have. So, yeah, I mean, and I think it's really interesting. I, I don't meet many people who are, you know, as established founders who are still in the day-to-day weeds of coding like uh, you and I both are. So it's it's cool to see that. I mean, was that something that you uh was that something that you did really intentionally or has it just kind of worked out that way? Yeah, it's somewhat it's sort of a combination of a whole bunch of different factors, but basically like definitely in the beginning I was the only programmer and then that was that and I built it and all those things. Um, and it's kind of ebbed and flowed. Like there's been periods where we had like two or even three programmers and there's been periods where we have less. So there's been periods where I'm not doing any programming. Like there's been years where I did nothing, nothing in terms of programming. But then recently I've gotten back into it. I kind of feel like, I mean, first of all, I just like it. I've been keeping up on it the whole time, but even if I'm not actively always been doing uh, code in HelpSpot and some of our other things. I've been building other Laravel-related sites or side projects and things like that. So I'm up to speed on everything. And then I do like doing it. And then when it came to kind of this next generation HelpSpot we've started working on, it just felt like we've actually tried to do this twice before and it's failed both <laughs> times before. 
And I think at least in part, entirely my fault. So a hundred percent my fault, (laughs) uh, all the failures. And I just felt like, uh, to do it, it, it's just, I'm just not the type of person who's going to be able to communicate it to other people is what it comes down to. Well, I get that. And so, you know, I'm going to get in there and I'm going to do like the phase one of this. And then, you know, from there, once like the core vision is established and a lot of the core structures are in place, I feel like then it's a lot easier to be like, okay, we're going to spec out this feature. We're going to spec out this UI thing. Like we could, we could do that, but just laying out the whole groundwork and it's just too many things that are interrelated that I don't think very well in terms of like, oh, let me pre-think this whole thing out and every implication and what the UI is going to be and then write that all up and commit. So like, I need to be in there feeling the code, feeling how it looks in the UI, like the actual interactions and things, and then be like, oh yeah, this makes sense or this doesn't. And so that's what we're going to do. Yeah. No, I get it. (laughs) <laughs> I, I think that it, it is really true, especially like, I don't know, you just, you, you end up just having so much context in your head over the years that yeah. you don't even realize it's there anymore, you know? And yeah, so and, I, I get that it's hard to communicate some of that stuff. And there's obviously, you know, thousands of people who work at Microsoft and thousands of people who work at Apple who are very good at that type of thing, right? They never write any code and they're writing documents and specs for whatever software they're doing and goes through approvals and like there's all kinds of stuff, right? People with different type of talent, but that's, that's not me. So, um, gonna keep it pure. I mean, I think it also really depends on how your company and your team is structured, right? They're built to do that. Sure. They have many, many systems in place. They just have to be. It's a whole different yeah. thing. Like there's schedules exactly. and there's trillions of dollars involved and everything else. This is my little company and I can do whatever I want with it, right? And so it can be uh, whatever I want it to be, which is also part of it. Like I just like doing this and I want to be in there doing it. And so I am. Yeah. Well, you know, we've been, we've been, running since about 1997 and you know for i would say about the past eight or nine years we've been migrating to laravel we just kind of decided rather than trying to sort of set a timeline for getting that done we've just moved functionality over as as it made sense and just kind of manage everything through the uh the load balancing side of things just like path by path essentially and that's been a really interesting way to rewrite an application. Yeah, it is fascinating. But I think, you know, obviously the appeal of just like sitting down and writing the whole thing again from scratch is is very real. Sure. <laughs> and I, I won't I won't pretend that I haven't, you know, kind of gone down that path a few times over the years too and and either abandoned it or or or, you know, I don't know how how the code base over there looks like, but there's lots of like well, this class is named like legacy because there was a new one introduced that was supposed to supersede it, but then that migration never fully happened. So now we just have the legacy right. one and the <laughs> modern one sitting next to each other and you just have to yeah. know which is which. All that a lot of real world nightmare. stuff in there. Yeah. 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 We did something similar with HelpSpot where we moved it onto Laravel because it's obviously pre it's like pre any framework really existing right, in PHP, right. um, as your app I'm sure is. And so, yeah, so we moved on 
to Laravel and then, you know, over time, um, it's definitely not like you wouldn't look at it and think it's a Laravel app fully because there's definitely uh-huh. odd folders and function libraries that are thousands of lines long and things like that that are not in any way how you'd uh, do it now. But, uh, but yeah, I do think rebuilding from scratch, I mean, obviously it's old hat now. People are basically, you know, consensus is kind of that you shouldn't do it and all those things. And I tend to agree. I think that for me, what kind of put me back over the edge was like, we had some business model changes we want to implement as part of this. So then to me, that made a lot of difference. It's like, all right, if we're, it's not just like, it's going to be new and nicer to work on, but it's like, we can't do the business model that I think makes sense going forward on the current structure. And so then that's like, all right, that's like an actual real reason to, to do this. Right. You're building a new product. It's, it's right. with the, you know, it's with the history of the existing product, but it, right. I, I, I get that sense. Yeah. Yeah. But, but another interesting thing about that process is you're coming to it with all the experience of running, you know, running a, an application for, for 20 years. And, you know, I, I remember, I can't remember what episode of uh, uh, Mostly Technical you guys were talking about it, but the whole DynamoDB access pattern question, like needing to yeah. understand your access patterns. Like, yeah. you know, you are in that position where you actually do kind of already understand a lot of this stuff in a way that a, uh, a new application really wouldn't. Yeah. And so I imagine that's why you feel comfortable kind of like, uh, taking on a bunch of caching considerations really early rather than, yeah. you know, I think traditionally you would piece that stuff on later as you see the need. But like, so what, what has that been like? It sounds like that's kind of uh, just been something that you've been uh, really experimenting with. Yeah. So that's exactly right. I feel like it's probably not the place you should over engineer generally if you're starting a new <laughs> app, but we have, you know, some unique, variations here because there will be existing customers moving on to the new platform pretty quickly so that right there there's going to be more load than you might have just if you were just obviously building a new app and getting your first customer and things like that and then um and then yeah i know the access patterns really well and even though the new platform will have some differences ultimately like it's going to be very similar and so the places where it's heavy, I know those very well. And so, so yeah, so that's kind of led me down to like, which is, you know, into going to caching more initially and understanding where we can cut some corners and what things can be cached and don't really matter if they are, have a slight delay to them or what things can be cached because they're easy to clear the cache or all those kind of things and go pretty deep on that initially more so than you might otherwise uh, recommend if you are building a brand new app and don't really know what's going to be ugly and not. Um, but yeah, the help desk space just has a lot of complicated queries in it because um, people want to see their help desk tickets in all sorts of weird and interesting ways. Sure. So they want to, you know, have string searches for a word and, but then they're also filtering out, you know, these other 20 conditions and there's a group condition and like, there's all this stuff in there and the load can definitely be quite intense. Uh, so that's like a multi-layer thing we're kind of working on from like the database architecture aspects and what we could do differently there. And then also then the caching layer of what can we cache and only run once in a while and have it be okay. And 
so yeah i mean there's there's a lot there <laughs> but uh what's, what's the uh what's the thing that um what's the what's the thing that you've done so far that you uh would would be most nervous showing someone else <laughs> yeah so i'm working what's, what's, out, the, that's what's the most worrisome caching yeah uh, so caching the, decision you made well this is so this is like a total over engineering thing right so there's we're going to most likely be using Redis to cache. Redis obviously extremely fast. Yep. But it just bothers me to go to the cache. Like, okay, so the standard way to do it would be like, okay, like here's a query. We're going to cache this query and wrap it in a, you know, Laravel cache or whatever. Yep. And we have like, we might have 10 of those in one request that are cached, let's just say. And then, but then each one of those is like a network request. Right. And even though it's to a fast Redis server, it's still 10 network network requests. And then that's like, I don't like that. It's like, oh man, that's a lot of network requests, right? So then it's like, what can we group together? This is kind of the thing I've been working on most recently is like, which of these can I group together conceptually? So I have these like cache groups of like, the tenant is like one cache group and the user has a cache group. And it's like, okay, for those, we're just going to go make the one network request and request all the keys and get it all back at once. And so then maybe now instead of 10 network requests, you know, you're always going to have the tenant one probably, and you're probably always going to have user one. And maybe there's going to be like one other, depending on what module of the app you're in, but maybe now instead of 10, there's three. And so I like that. That's like, okay, like that's, that's much better than 10. And it's probably like literally whatever it's going to be, right? Is it 10 milliseconds or is it maybe even less if it's a really fast connection or maybe it's slightly more, but yeah, it's just an area where I'm like, nah, you know, I'm in here. I know that like every time I use these, like the tenant cached items, like I need all of those anyway, mo a lot of the time. And if I get an extra one once in a while, like it still doesn't matter because just the making the network connection is slower than like having it send back this you know, one extra key or whatever. And so we're just going to try that out and see how it goes. So, so far it, it works, but um, it hasn't been, you know, tested uh, heavily yet. So we'll see if it holds up, but so far it's, it's looking pretty good. And so then are you, are you just kind of leaning into sort of accepting occasional eventual consistency or are you, uh, also really thinking through cache and validation strategies heavily. Yeah. So pretty heavy on the cache and validation. I mean, the thing with a help desk app is there is a ton of settings um, and they don't change that often. Right. Uh, and when they do change, you know, it's very controlled how they change. So for some things, the cache and validation is like super straightforward. Um, I do have like kind of a baseline cache invalidation set up where like the key of the cache includes like the updated stamp of the tenant. If we're talking about the tenant. Um, so, you know, I could just like touch that and that'll invalidate the whole cache. And then obviously it'll be fresh on the next run. But there are places where I just, we're just going to actively remove, you know, reset the cache and delete the key. Because again, if you're just like changing a setting that gets changed. I mean, it might be years between changes or whatever. Like, um, we can just go ahead and delete that and sure. it'll be fresh again for the next one. But yeah, it did it, the, this group caching structure does have some, some, uh, a key manager basically that creates the keys and it does part of that, um, include the updated stamps so that we can kind of quickly do that. One other thing 
that's built in there is that the tenant um, updated at is actually in every key. So okay. that if we want to clear the whole tenant because like whatever customers having a problem and we just want to like be able to clear all the cash, so you, every cash that's for the tenant, then we could just update that and it's going to clear actually all the, all the cash keys. So, which we'll see, I mean, that has its own like downsides potentially, right? Like if you have a very large customer, like maybe you don't want to cash all or clear all the uh, caches simultaneously, but I think. Again, this is like where it's nice knowing our use cases very well that like any one tenant's not actually going to be that big a deal to have like their caches cleared all at once and be cold. Right. So I think I think it'll be fine. But but yeah. So that's, I mean, that's something that is something that I've been leaning into actually more is just I think I used to try to be really really thoughtful about you know using you know, clearing as little of the cash as possible when something changes. Mm -hmm. And I have found that it's just so much easier to just be like, I mean, I'm almost just like blow up the whole cash when anything changes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Cause like, again, it's just a performance thing. So the app is still going to work just fine. You know, the next request for a handful of people is going to be a little bit slower as, as some data has to get loaded, but it's, it, it ends up being pretty minimal. I guess it depends yep. on how how heavily you're relying on caching, but um, I've just yeah, found that the over under on that is it's just so much nicer to have that assurance than hunting down these like oh, okay well this up this model was updating and like it wasn't touching its parent so then I need to like, yep. you know all that nonsense you get into like, all that yeah just wipe the whole thing you know blow it away yep. yeah. Yeah, I agree. That's why I kind of had that option in there for everything. It's like, oh, we can just blow this away easily and not like worry about it. If there's some, we aren't anywhere yet where like on a change, I'd feel like, well, we should just always do that. But I'm sure we'll get there because there are some very complicated aspects um, where it's like, well, in this case, we're just going to like blow everything away. And obviously we can just do it as admins too, but even just as part of the regular flow of the app, it's like, okay, this is like touches too many places. Let's just like clean up a bit. But yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of like, you know, initially HelpSpot had no caching, or, you know, current version of HelpSpot and or effectively no caching, very little caching. There's an on-premise app initially, um, and it's still available on-premise. And so we didn't hit it too much early on because it's like everybody was putting it on their own servers. And sure. generally it's fine, like unless they had a huge installation and even then they'd have a bigger server. So really like you could kind of run any queries and it all kind of worked okay because it was yeah. just the one tenant on its own server. But then as like our cloud stuff got bigger, it's like, oh, all these crazy queries people are running. And coming from this on-premise world, we'd like let people do anything. Like you could literally write your own in <laughs> right. the fil- in the filtering of HubSpot. <laughs> like you can literally put your own SQL in there. It's like, <laughs> so people just can literally do anything. And then the, the right. builder has like no constraints. Like, you know, the database schema wasn't necessarily optimized for a cloud type deployment sure so there's a lot of heavy heavy queries and things so that started to really be on the database server once we cloudified it all um and it's not just to explain that quickly it's not a regular like multi-tenant SaaS app it's a single database server and every customer gets actually a tiny aws vm and Hmm. so we just deploy it like a million little on-premise installs that do connect though to one single database server. So that database server can get heavy, but each customer has its own database on the database server. Sure. 
So, but still, obviously, then one customer can impact another, even if they're on their own databases, because it's one server. So, so we did a bunch of caching stuff in HelpSpot Current as much as we could. And one of the things that my big takeaways from that and something I'm using in the next generation HelpSpot is it's super beneficial even just to do tiny caches. Like, mm-hmm. like we're only going to cache this for 30 seconds or mm-hmm. something like that. Because when you yeah. have so many customers simultaneously like 30 seconds actually huge like you're saving thousands of queries if you just have like a 30 second cache in this one area or whatever so so that's another thing that factors in for me because it's like we're small like we don't have infinite money for you know databases and things like that and the database is obviously the most expensive thing to throw money at if you need to throw money at something so it's like hey if we can keep on smaller databases the longer we can do that, that's super beneficial because going up to that next tier of database is always at least twice as much and yeah. uh, gets expensive pretty quickly. So, um, so yeah, so there's a lot of stuff like that too when we get into like the ticketing views and like the filters and the counts and things like that where it's like even if it's just this 30 seconds that seems like kind of nothing, it's actually can be a lot because if you have, you know, 50 agents... And so the other thing with help desk is this is the kind of tool where everybody's in it all day. Like it's yeah. your job to literally be in this <clears> tool all day. So if you have 50 agents, like they're in there loading pages just constantly um, and moving around the system and everywhere they go to, there's a count of how many tickets are assigned to them and how many tickets in this queue and whatever, all the different counts. And so, you know, just those little caches where, yeah, you don't want it to be ever delayed too long because people are making decisions based on the counts and things. Um, so they want to know when something pops in a queue or how many are in there. Um, but you can still shave a lot of queries off even with these short caches. Um, and then there's other areas where it's not so important. Like what is the difference between 42 and 43 items in this queue potentially? Like it's probably not. <laughs> sure. like, nobody's looking at it and it's like, oh, I'm not going to touch it if it's 42, but when it gets to 43, like then I'm going to get in there and do something about it. So, so that's where then there's a little bit of wiggle room in other areas where it's like, well, for this one, maybe it can be five minutes because it's slightly delayed. It's not a huge deal. And so judgment calls there. Um, we'll still have a thing where there's settings for customers that probably impact the caching in certain areas. Like there are a, team that is like very real time then maybe it's going to be a very very short cache but you know they'll have a way to do that or we'll have a way to do that for them or i haven't that part we haven't gotten to yet we haven't totally figured that part out but you'll have their ttl cached as well what's that you'll have the 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 cache ttl cached (laughs) (laughs) so uh yeah, so we'll see. I mean, in the current um, current help spot, there's actually a way for people to basically opt out of it, essentially, on certain queues and have it just be mm. actually real time. Um, I don't think we'll go that. I think it'll, it'll always be cash, but even if it's just like 15 seconds or whatever, like they're just, right. just going to shave that off a little bit. Yeah, I mean, do you find, because in my experience, the closer to real time you get, the harder it is to effectively cash things because... right. Your, your users end up noticing those inconsistencies a lot quicker. Right. You know, how are you, so are you still with all of those, even these 30 second or five minute count caches, are you still 
thinking about invalidating them or is it just like we're just going to live with the fact that it might be 30 seconds stale? Yeah. So for those in particular, we're probably not going to be able to actively invalidate them because it's things where they're they're creating the query essentially through a builder. And even though in the next generation help spot, it's going to be a little bit more, we're going to have a little more guardrails on there than we do with the current help spot. It's still would be difficult because you might have hundreds of these filters um, in a big installation potentially. And so like to like take every ticket that comes in and figure out which of the filters it actually applies to would become its own like set of giant queries and things. So we're probably not gonna be able to do that. Um, so yeah, so for those, you know, the, but this is again where we know it really well. It's so like the inboxes can be, might just have no, no cache at all or like a very tiny cache. And cause that's like, that's one people always are looking at like, what's yeah. in, new in the inbox i'm trying to keep the inbox empty or near empty like how many are in there what's in there like okay so that's heavy cash or, or not cash what we call like your my queue like the stuff assigned to you again it's something that gets looked at a lot and it's super important like if something was assigned to you you want to know about it pretty quickly and not have to you know you don't want like a five minute delay on that one or whatever so but then you have these other filters that get built that are like a manager builds a filter because they're keeping an eye on a certain type of issue and once sure. a day they're looking at that, right? And so right. for that, it's like, well, that doesn't need to be real time at all. And so, but it's hard for us to know explicitly its use case also, because sometimes you build a filter and you do want it to be real time. So there right. is a lot of like, yeah, it's trick, it is tricky where it's like, that's where I think those like, shorter cash bands come into play because it's like hey if we can shave a minute great like it's going to be not a big deal to the customer even if they're using it semi real time but and then if they're using it not real time at all and they're checking it once a day then that's great and we're still saving a bunch of queries even if it's not as much as it could if we knew for sure that they were only looking at this once a day yeah we could cash it longer but it's still you know we're the all the queries are being you know, again, since we know the use case, we're getting the queries are much tighter than in the current generation of HelpSpot. So the queries are also going to be very fast. So it's not a, a huge deal there. Something that could be really interesting is like, I don't know if you could use Pulse, but you might be able to take inspiration from Pulse, all the, um, you know, the sampling and, and uh, sort of yeah. analytics efficiency stuff. Like, mm -hmm. would you ever consider essentially like having some of that especially like the query builder stuff having some sort of dynamic caching where you're essentially sampling how often any individual key is getting hit and like dynamically adjusting the cache depending so definitely possibly um in, in the current generation of help spot we do we track like the number of times each filter is run whether it's a count run or a mm -hmm. fully loading the filter where like you're actually seeing the tickets as opposed to just like the sidebar count and right now we don't use well no we actually do use it a little bit to dynamically update how long something is cached um so okay. we can change that and then uh, we also use it to create a screen for the end user so that they can have some tools for like debugging, like why things are slow, especially like an on-premise one. It's like, well, you have this filter that takes four minutes to run. Like that's why it's slow or whatever. So, right. um, so yeah, definitely some stuff like that. I don't know if we're going to need it for this. We'll see kind of, I'm, I'm going a little different path with that sort of issue in next generation help spot, um, between the like heavy and precise caching on one end and then 
a fair amount of like denormalization on the other so that mm -hmm. the queries can like pretty much uh, never need to join or very uh, on the count type queries, they'll never need to join. And, you know, in a lot of places, they just won't need to join in general. So I'm sort of approaching it more from that angle of can we lean on the database and have all the queries be super fast when we do need these queries and not mm -hmm. have to worry too much about getting all the way down to that level of like really tracking every filter or heavy query and then dynamically updating and all that stuff. Like hopefully it can be a little simpler in that zone. And then we make up for it with like, yeah, if we don't go to the database a little more, it's super fast. It's a really easy query that the database is going to, you know, just be able to crush um, very efficiently as opposed to, you know, getting into big, huge, multi-table joins and all the stuff which we do now, um, right. where every filter query is like, has, you know, three tables joined to it. And, um, you know, <laughs> it's a big, it's a big, ugly query uh, that does all kinds of stuff. It's, it's a monster. So trying to avoid that monster query scenario. I, I feel compelled to at least uh, say, sounds like a great use case for event sourcing. <laughs> I have I have thought about that a little bit with you guys and all the stuff you're doing. I so I know nothing really about doing event sourcing. Uh, so I don't know. I'd be quite scared, but at the same time, it does. I did actually kind of have that sort of thought about like, oh, this is kind of. I see where they're going with this, and conceptually, the little bit I've poked around on verbs and, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, probably is. <laughs> when when you start thinking about denormalization, I think that that's like a good a good indicator that maybe event sourcing is a, is a useful tool mm. to reach for just because, you know, one of the upsides, you know, it's kind of like a power and weakness is, you know, it lets you kind of decouple the, the writes from the reads and really optimize the reads specifically to the read case and the writes specifically the write case. And so when you're dealing with like a lot of data that needs to be read in these like really weird ways, it allows you to uh, retroactively just start pumping your data into a new table to improve your querying without having to re really change anything on the right side. So, yeah, I mean, so I've had to get there. Yeah, yeah no, ahead. let's talk about that a little bit because so one of the things that I don't think was has been totally clear to me, although I'm not, I, don't, I mean, I've literally just looked at it a little bit. I haven't gone, sure. I haven't installed it, I haven't gone deep at all. But is it, the kind of thing where you kind of have to do the whole app with it or else it gets weird or can you drop it into a part of the app or what's your what's your no. analysis there i mean we're you know we've been we've been running a portion of our exam system um in a, an event source manner for probably two two to three years now mm -hmm. and that is running side by side with the rest of the app both the the modern laravel app and the legacy app and it's actually, I mean, Daniel's talk at Laracon EU, I think, was mostly inspired by some of the work that we did on that because that was really how both of us got introduced to event sourcing when he was working at Internachi. And it was kind of this amazing thing because uh, when, you, when you have this sort of like write model and read model mindset, and I don't want to get too much into the event sourcing terms because the whole point of verbs is that we're not thinking that way. But right. <laughs> but um, when you start thinking, okay, I'm just firing off events that happen over here. And as long as I throw everything that I can possibly think of, I can kind of 
do whatever I want with it on the other end. And so what that let us do with the exam system is we only wanted to move over actually one exam. The rest of our exams are still actually still run through the, the legacy system. Mm-hmm. And we have sort of the modern projectors that are writing to the modern exam tables. And we also just have backwards compatible projectors that are writing to the legacy tables. And mm-hmm. so you could you can still to this day start an exam in the modern system and then switch halfway through to the legacy system and it just works because the data is just kind of like bi-directionally going into two different places. Hmm. And so it actually like really lends itself to kind of just dropping into places that that it makes sense. Yeah. Because you really can kind of just work with the event system and and the rest of your system is kind of too too isolated but communicating mm. pieces. You know, that said, I think if you know, if I were starting a new project and I knew that I was going to be using event sourcing, I, I would probably be tempted to uh, use it more heavily, just knowing the upsides. But right. yeah, I think that there's a, there's definitely uh, plenty of use cases where you just kind of pepper it in where you need it. Yeah. All right. I'll have to take a look, take a closer <laughs> look in here, see if there's a new tool. Yeah, there you arrow go. Arrow in the quiver. Re- rewrite, rewrite number three. Right. <laughs> already <laughs> already rewrite. I've already rewritten this twice. Like basically the new the new next generation health bot is on its second version already because it was like kind of waiting for Livewire three, but then that was gonna take like a long time. So I kinda went down the React path and was like, well, maybe mm-hmm. I'll do like inertia and React. Which I've never done anything with React. So that was like a whole side quest sure. of learning React and all that stuff. And then in the end it was like, eh, I don't know. It's like just didn't there's some it's obviously tough. very appealing things about react but at the same time i don't i don't really want to just be in the front end that much like essentially yeah. uh like i don't think that way about it and so then livewire 3 was coming up and i was like ah we're just gonna do livewire 3 that's what we're gonna do so it also it really depends on your team because we went yeah. we went down that path too and we still we still have actually a lot of react code and i i feel personally pretty comfortable in that space but the rest of my team really does not like that. You know, they kind of put up with it <laughs> as much right. as they need to, but it's not anyone's like strong suit. And so it just, you know, it just means that every time we have to touch something that's in React, it's like, okay, well, I have to get my my hands dirty because yeah. I'm the only get one who necessarily knows how how it works. Yeah. And so yeah, we we definitely had that same like, you know, because I I had that I had the. uh experience that everyone had to some degree a number of years ago, just when node was fresh and there was just this like glimmer of, well, what if you could just write everything in one language? Wouldn't that be incredible? Right. Right. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I got pretty, I got pretty involved in, you know, you know, we wrote a couple of sort of our ancillary tools and node and, and, uh, and we used Ember, we used react just kind of exploring those wor- worlds. Mm. And uh, I think that premise is still really intriguing. But yeah, in the end, if you're not like fully committed, it kind of, it really does suck to to be like one foot in, one foot out. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, it was clear that's not really going to work, that like the one foot in, one foot out is going to be super hard. So then it was like, well, you just have to do the whole thing in React. And I mean, with like what, Laravel backend or whatever, which is fine. But I don't know, it's just a lot of weird. I, the, the main draw for me, as I've talked about, I think I'm mostly technical, is that it's like the component storage is super yes. amazing. And like, there's just nothing even close to it. Like you just have so much pre-built powerful components that are accessible and super well tested and there's just nothing anywhere else literally in the ballpark so that's huge but then the, the downside of like i'm not that proficient in it or we're gonna then hire somebody proficient in it or whatever and go down that path and it's like eh, i like i like the laravel world livewire gives me especially with livewire 3 especially is so much uh you know cleans up a lot of the like rough edges and it's like all right well my one my one language to do everything will be php with like uh, you know the smattering of javascript where you have to get in there and do some javascripty stuff so um i know caleb's working on the component library for livewire which will be super awesome i cannot yes. wait for that i think that'll be huge for the whole ecosystem honestly but I, I can't I, I can't wait for that either so uh, i won't get to use it probably or i'll retrofit <laughs> it in later but sure. uh but yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I still I still haven't used Livewire. I mean, you know, I've oh, I've played with it. Fun. And <laughs> I was I was talking with I don't know. I can't remember what we were talking about, but Daniel and I were talking about Livewire a couple months ago and he he was like, "How is it?" I think I'm like the you know, in the top 20 contributors to Livewire and <laughs> never actually used it because he and i like worked on a, a project at, when he was at internachi where we were like experimenting with livewire so we like contributed <laughs> a bunch of features and then yeah. <laughs> never uh never actually pushed into production but yeah it does well, i mean a lot, right? it does seem like a an amazing an amazing option it just it keeps on not quite fitting and i i don't know i i still love just laravel and blade honestly like yeah i, just I, I the do love the beauty that of just sending down a single request response like yep. i don't know it's a lot well, of times it's just, it's so, just so simple yeah yeah that's the thing it's like there's no there's no place for anything to hide like if there's a problem like you know where to start looking right away whereas definitely right. all these other systems whether it's uh spa or it's a live wire or whatever there is these like where is this problem? Like, yeah. what is, is it rendering wrong? Is it the data? Now I got to be in there looking at what's getting passed back and forth and try to figure out what's going on. And like, where is even uh, this request getting made? Right, you know? right. Where, right. What component or, or is making this request? Like something that yeah. I was really, I was kind of baffled by is like, do you know where the live wire routes are being registered in your application? Because that's like, even that's not obvious, you know? Right, <laughs> yeah. That everything goes through one route. Like all the Livewire, like secondary connections go through this single route, which actually causes a little bit of problems here and there. If you have things like looking at the current route and stuff, it's like, well, the current right. route is actually Livewire slash update, but like that's right. nothing. So there, there are like weird edge cases like that for sure. I think much like anything else, like I definitely found this in this new project here, being all in on it actually cleans up. Oh, I'm sure some of the ugly yeah. stuff or like, like every page is a full page live wire component. And like, it just right. simplifies a lot of stuff um, to some degree, but still, you still, there are still some rough edges and still mostly the biggest thing I find with live wire is just like, there are times where it's just hard to know. Yeah. What exactly is going back and forth. And like, 
because of how it works with like bundling everything together and stuff. It's not that easy to even just like directly look at, even if you're in like, right. the network stuff. So, you know, I think that's some of the things I know Caleb has some ideas around, you know, having a more visual kind of representation of that and some like dev tools right. and things, which I think when it gets to that point will be super handy and really make it a lot easier for people. But, uh, but you know, it's just kind of like anything else. I mean, there's always, there's always something, you know, it's always something. sure. Yeah. No, I mean, I, <laughs> I totally get that though. If it's, if it's like the primary interface of, you know, this is, I think this is, this was kind of the thrust of the last episode we were talking about. I don't know. We were talking about the scope of blade components, but the real conversation was just like, just picking what you're going to do and doing it, <laughs> you know, right? right. Um, <laughs> it doesn't even matter what the thing, what the choice is in the end. It's like just, yep. just making the choice and sticking with it because, uh, yeah, if you don't know, okay, is this a live wire thing or not? That's so much worse than just always knowing that it's, it's live wire. Yeah. 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 Now yeah, picking, I mean, that's something I've been bad at, at times, but, but like picking something and just going is a huge huge benefit to whatever yeah. whatever you're talking about <laughs> getting yeah. started is is good well and i think it's i think it's harder to do over a long span of time because the options mm -hmm. change so dramatically and and the tastes and you know the ecosystem and and you know options it's just like you know what we did even 10 years ago is so different than you know what the best practice is now and to some degree, you have to keep up with that, you know, because other you just start falling behind. So yeah. it's it's a balance. Yeah, there is like, yeah, I was just gonna say like there is that balance of like, you know, I think there it's it's easy nowadays to go too far and that like you're on Twitter, or you're on wherever, and it's like everybody's doing all oh, the hot stuff and it's amazing. It's like, well, I should be doing the hot stuff, but then obviously like the actual economic value to your customers and yourself is you know, how, how much money has anybody ever made because of like a react of even like framer or something like that, where like, Oh, everything's flying around the screen. And it's all like, it's bouncing yep. and like, whatever, like, but like, that's literally nobody's ever made a purchasing decision, at least of a B2B app based on like, are things flying around the screen nicely? <laughs> like it's just never, I mean, every B2B app you use, that's an enterprise app is like, like truly an enterprise app is the most horrific thing you've ever seen. Like if the yes. app costs more than a million dollars, it's literally the worst app you've ever used. And like, that's what they're selling for millions of dollars. So, yeah. you know, there's, it is easy to get caught up and be like, Oh, my thing is bad because it's like, it's not all flying around the screen, but really it's fine. And nobody cares in the real world. But I mean, I do think, I do think that there's, there's an element of, I, I think I will make decisions based on the the sort of perception of attention to detail that might come with some of those less obvious things. You know, yeah. a good example is, uh, do you use linear? linear um, for so, Sort of. Okay. Uh, we're sort uh, of playing around with it. Yeah. So I'm not I totally mean, all in yet. Okay. Well, I, I definitely think that, you know, when we switched from Jira to linear, like mm. the part of the reason that we made that switch was all of the little things that just were nicer, you know? Yeah. And, and a lot of that really was speed, but it also was just, you know, the command K 
interactions were really felt really good and looked really good and always had all the options that you wanted and just like navigating around felt really fluid and it was nice to look at. Like, I think those things do matter, but a hundred percent at a certain, at a certain scale, they stop mattering, you know, like right. I when, think it's also when you're solving just like over time, you know? Yeah. Like it's like now, like that's why our, like the new version will be live wire. Right. Cause I think there is an expectation of like that there is a more instantaneousness to when yeah, you yeah. click a link or something like that. Right. Yeah. So like there's that, there's like the, there's that level, which I think has now become more table stakes. And then there's yeah. like, the next level which is like well every little thing something floats or yeah, like yeah, yeah. Sure. is beautifully right or like and i don't know if that's really selling a lot of software like and and all my customers now don't have any of that right and so you know <laughs> right. there is like uh and linear like here like this is another thing linear has all that stuff down really well but what they don't apparently have is real-time database backups because like they <laughs> crash and lost customer data because yeah. when they restored their backups aren't real time and so they're taking it from like a 12 hour old backup and i'm like well that's bizarre like i have real-time database backups like point in time recovery why don't you have point in time recovery database backups? Right. like that's weird so you know i don't know like there are just things like that that make you say ah, it's a little bit odd like where yep. no that was a little scary things. Yeah, it's very scary. <laughs> I don't even have anything super important in there right now. And I'm like, ah, how does this like, this is the hotness. This is like the big thing. And they don't even have like point. In, if you, and if you're not going to point in time, like you have to go 12 hours back. Like that's a long time back. That's not like, yeah, well, sure. an hour back. Like that's a whole day. Like if you were doing stuff that whole day, you just lost a whole day. All, everything you logged in there is just gone. Like, I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, that's a little off topic, but um going back to caching yeah something that i think i've noticed is not like uh i i maybe i'm just missing it but i just don't feel like i hear people in the laravel world talking about it at all is the http side you know yeah. really managing the cache control headers and you know on i would bet that there are very few web developers, let alone Laravel developers that understand, you know, what an e-tag is, what's the difference, like what is a weak e-tag, you know, right. and <laughs> yeah. it is a uh, cache control versus expires, like, you know, yep. all, all these different, all these different headers that you understand. And, and honestly, you know, I've been pretty deep in that stuff for a long time and I don't, I don't fully understand it either, yep. nor do I really understand the uh you know the shift from sort of like older headers to mo to the more modern headers but that's something that for certain parts of our site I, I think we get a lot of value out of just thinking a little bit about how we can cache it but it's the same you know it's definitely the same trade off of then you get folks who like it's not changing, <laughs> right? You have to explain, yeah. Okay, you have to hold shift, clear and your browser, commit, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, the, it's definitely, I mean, caching always is a double-edged sword. And yep. I, I don't even know, I guess, in the world of Lair, of uh, Livewire, that's just not a thing. I guess on the initial render, it still can be, but for the rest yeah, of the rest life cycle. the initial render, could you do it? I mean, I suppose you could do it on a return value. I wonder how that would work. Possibly. I don't think so, because like the... Uh, 
you know the, the it might be sending LiveWire itself is probably sending some type of no cash like yeah request and the um the the whatever it's called the hash of checksum yeah the checksum yeah, stuff checksum. yeah like that's gonna and it might actually it might always be posting too I, I don't actually right. recall yeah for our stuff I haven't thought about that as well I I have thought about it a lot on one hand but on the other hand for the app itself I feel like it would be too far um i think yeah. that the, the having it's more people, for like the front end marketing yeah like having like, like the that. your filters come back from like stay in the browser cache would probably be too far but but yeah for so for healthspot.com the like marketing website is all fully cached like so this is was a beef i had with aaron because he has this whole convoluted thing to make a uh, his his not his, they, his totally they, normal static site generator right right the static site generator yes <laughs> so um whereas like so i what we do at helpsall.com is just a regular laravel app that just renders normally yep. um and then behind cloudflare i just told cloudflare to like cache everything forever and then the only thing we have to do is when we um you know update it we just clear the cloudflare cache and uh that's it. So like, so everybody gets not only a cache version, but like the Cloudflare delivery network where it's coming from, you know, their next sure. door neighbor's house or whatever. It's like super close. And yeah, and for stuff like that, it's like, it's great. Like everything is instantaneous because it's just always cached and always on the edge. So yeah, I think for that, that kind of thing, it's super good. And obviously like assets and stuff like that too, just being careful sure. that those are cached and things. Now, with like, that, mm. are you are you only setting uh, the cache control headers for the that the the shared headers and leaving the you know letting the browser always load from Cloudflare? Or are you also letting the browser cache those pages? It is a while ago now, and I honestly sure. can't tell you. I think the browser is caching. I want to say, but yeah. I could be wrong. Which I guess that could be then a problem there a little bit. But I don't, geez, no, I don't know. Can't yeah, I mean, you. typically you'll have, you know, there's like the, the shared cache and then there's the private cache and, and right. the shared cache is is uh, telling the intermediate proxies what they can keep. And then the private cache is just uh, the end user, what their browser can keep. And yep. yeah, you know, we'll we'll have things where it's like, you know, at the browser level, cache this for a minute. And then at the, intermediate level cache it for five minutes or something like right. that so like then and but it's it is it's it definitely comes with trade-offs in terms of freshness you know it's always it's always tricky you you have to yeah, make that request somewhere the support <laughs> the support end of that for the like for the marketing site it's like fine. we're not even updating it that much so right it's whatever but um but yeah for the app itself you're pretty brave out there doing the doing the browser-based <laughs> caching inside well, the app. I like that. No, I mean, so we actually drive the marketing site and the app all from the same uh, from the same code base. Mm -hmm. So most of the stuff that we do with cache control is, you know, our front-end pages that aren't changing yeah. very often. We might, you know, like there's, you know, the 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 user's like main dashboard view that just is kind of like here's all the stuff that you have access to and this is like what now. course you're in the middle of to pick to continue from and you know a few, handful of things like that 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 content doesn't change 
very frequently. You know, it, it changes, but it's only going to change every 10, 10 minutes to an hour for any given right. user. That we do cache because we do find that folks, you know, will navigate back to that one page pretty frequently. Just so just, instant, yeah. yeah, it's, I mean, it, and it, the upside is it is literally instant because it's just right. from fi- <laughs> the fi- their local file system. But it feels like a full page load. Yeah, I think that there are a few places where it, it pays off depending on on your access patterns. But it's it's definitely and it's even scarier than you know server side caching because once you've made the decision, yeah. you can't out back out of it. You know, <laughs> unless you're like deciding to change the URL of pages or something like that. Right. You're yeah. you're totally screwed. You know, or you're you're panically changing the URL of a page to uh, <laughs> yeah. break people's caches, where you set it for a, a year instead of a minute. That would be funny to just prefix every single URL with some like v- version prefix mm. and so then you can never you go too long to, yeah. yeah it's kind of slash v3 slash dashboard or whatever you know this yeah. is like more big brain stuff that i can't really get into but it does seem like there are like always elements of pages i would love to cache mm-hmm. that's even more like even in blade like i wish there was a cache blade component um or something mm-hmm. like a directive because like yeah this chunk i know this chunk is like yeah it's some like whatever sidebar or something that i know i don't need to update too often and rather than going down into like every query that makes up the sidebar and like dealing with all that caching like i could just like no when we render this let's just like cache this chunk there is like i think there is a lot package out there for it but i don't know Hmm. it seemed a little i don't like to like have too many kind of random packages and didn't seem like you know well i wasn't sure what's going on with it and i was like uh whatever i'm not gonna deal with it but Stuff like that is kind of intriguing to me of like, can we just cache the HTML output of this chunk and, right. you know, not have to rewrite? Because some of that stuff's heavy, like, or even like your top navigation bar, like there's actually like a fair amount of stuff in there often that's yeah, not for sure. updated that much, but it's like this big chunk of HTML that's generated from a bunch of loops of various things and whatever. And it's like, well, yeah, I would say that whole our, chunk. Our, our dashboard, uh, our navigation for the logged in app is probably the place that we we cache the most. Mm-hmm. So, you know, anything, yeah, anything that's going to show counts or anything that's going to be, you know, based on access levels, pretty much all of that, we cache those queries and then just store like a a single cache payload of like a bunch of uh, numbers and booleans that we then use in the logic of rendering the sidebar because yeah that's something that is surprisingly dynamic and is rendered on literally every page (laughs) yeah a lot of bang for the buck there on those uh caching those items yep yeah that that thing would like help desk is like there's lots of those lots of counts on the sidebar yeah 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 and then that one is i think um it's pretty easy to do that like sort of grouping technique Right, where right. we basically just have a couple of buckets. There's just like uh sidebar, there's like a bucket that's given your role within the application. Everyone with this role sees these same mm-hmm. things, so we can just like right. kind of cache Boom. it for that entire role. And yeah. then give and then individual users will have their own cache for their own individual views. And that way. When something changes, we just 
you know, destroy the whole, the whole cache for that role or, yeah. uh, and then when, when anything related to those, those counts or those, those flags changes, we just, you know, in a, in a observer, we'll just, uh, clear that cache out. What do you guys cache with like Redis or? Yeah. Yeah. Redis, uh, Elasticache yeah. on AWS. Yeah. I've thought Data about, stuff. I mean, cause is that what you're using as well? Elasticache or? Right. Or, well, uh, I mean, managed on the Redis or existing help spot. It's actually I'm um, using the uh, no. Now it is on Redis. I think for a long time it was on the file because each is file just file caching actually. Right. Each sure. customer has their own server, but now this each customer server has Redis, and I believe the cache is in Redis there actually now. But uh, that's like what I have penciled in. No final determination on kind of the next generation. We're probably going to be using single store, which could, in theory, possibly even like use the in-memory tables with like right. a key value roll our own sort of thing. But on the flip side, I feel like half the reason I want the cache is just to like avoid hitting the database, even if it's just right. stupid fast queries. So, yeah, most likely we'll be uh, we'll be Redis. Something I've thought about is like, <laughs> and then talk about really over engineering. What 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 about running <clears throat> excuse me a local copy of redis on each application server that you have the that you that you cache and then either i don't know which would be more performant either sort of hopping through two layers of cache right where you have your local app cache where it's just like you'd only you could just have a you know hundred megabytes <laughs> like you wouldn't have right. to have much much in there but just like uh, or probably even less than that but just a, you know just a little space for the really really frequently accessed stuff yeah and either just make that just decide which cache location you're reading and writing to right. if you want to go local potentially, or yeah or or potentially like what would it be look like if you just had introduced an additional layer where it's like ask local first is it still yep. going to be faster to ask the shared cache for sure later and then if the shared cache doesn't have it do the query yeah and you could have like you know maybe the shared cache holds it for five minutes and the local cache holds it for a minute and you're you know there's there's something interesting there but i, I don't know there if is. the overhead would be worth it I, I, I mean, if you made the session sticky to the app server, then like it would be faster access wise and they'd always be getting the same server. Obviously, then like if there's a problem with that server, then right. that's a problem. But even if you don't have many front end, like if you have three front end servers, you'll still be reducing your queries a fair amount, even if they're own, even if sometimes they it's duplicated into cache or whatever uh, across uh, different requests. Yeah. But it does feel like maybe maybe it's a bridge too far. Yeah, it does feel like it might be over engineered. I just don't I do know love the idea they... of local caching. I hate going yeah. out over the network. Like I just right. want it to be all all right there. I mean, the other annoying thing is I really feel like things are so fast right now. It's like I do have this temptation, which I'm not going to do because I'm a chicken. But I do like you could just run the whole thing on a single server. Like you could run the whole mm -hmm. thing on one badass single server for like quite a while. Yes especially if the database wasn't on there, then you really could. But I don't know. 
obviously then I mean, that, that server has a problem and you're annoyed, but then servers are pretty reliable now. So you're going to go a while probably without a problem, but we, we just decommissioned a server that was running red hat four. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, from two, 2012, I think right. <laughs> it's just been, just been running fine just been doing its thing, yeah, doing its thing. No problem. Ne- uh, never gave me any issues, you know, just never had to think about it. Is and, all your uh, stuff on AWS or do you have like physical servers or what do you, uh, yeah, you we're, we're pretty much all on a- a- AWS now. Yeah. We've hopped around over the years. Um, mm. I mean, I don't think, I don't even think, you know, AWS was an option when we started, right. uh, you know, it was like a New Jersey colo of some sort that we were on like back That's then. That's what I was like, just for the yeah. marketing site, I bought a server and sent it to a colo. Cause I was like, there was no really anywhere you can like even have a marketing site. Like you had to have right. a server. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, we moved, I, we moved to Rackspace for a while, but, um, I, I found the, uh, fanatical support not as as incredible as uh, they really yeah. wanted to to sell you on and and the the price of that fanatical support was not insignificant so yeah yeah we switched to aws probably a little bit before we switched we started switching over to laravel so it's been we've been on aws for a long time now yeah. and i i love it i mean you know it's just like sure we spend a lot on our aws bill but it's just like all of it is just managed, you know, RDS and Elasticache and EC2 instances. Yeah. And like, we've invested a lot of time in, we, we don't have like infrastructure as code, like a Terraform type situation, right. but we have a really solid Ansible setup. So like mm-hmm. when we need to deploy a new, like a new version of PHP, for example, we'll just provision a couple of servers you know, and, and run all those Ansible playbooks on those new servers and then just flip, flip the switch in the load balancer. And it's just like easy, you know, AWS just makes everything easy. Yeah. No, we've been very happy with AWS. I don't have any complaints. It is a little pricey on some points, but it's like, what are you going to do? It's fine. And, uh, yeah, we do the same thing with Ansible for a lot of stuff and we are moving. Ansible is great. Yeah. I I don't feel like. I hear people talking about it very often, but I love, I mean, we, I, I have a little script. Um, you should check it out. It's called Ansible interactive, but it mm. just, uh, basically like gives you a nice little command line selector tool to pick like, you know, which, uh, which groups do you want to deploy? Which, uh, which tags, mm. which plays. Yeah. But I mean, we've been deploying with Ansible for years now and it's just like, it's just such a, I mean, just compared to the old days when it's like, how did I configure this server? Like, what <laughs> do I need to remember to yeah. do next time? <laughs> or you just like have a note somewhere that's like, remember you have to install this, this weird, like yep. you have to pin this one dependency because for some reason, like in this distribution, you can't use yep. the latest one. You have to like <laughs> use two points before, you know, all that stuff. It's just like, yep. all that is just committed to Git and it always just plays out the same way i I love it yep 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 same and yeah that's what we do for like these three four hundred servers whatever it is it's like just ansible spins them up and all that kind of stuff so yeah there's uh it's really great what's that look like do you is that manual or do you have a whole 
no, PHP driven. Yeah. So like is a, that it's PHP drives Ansible, which provisions the servers? Uh, currently, yes. Yeah. Um, we are doing some work to like move that to like AWS's Terraform. Oh, okay. One mm -hmm. of the, I'm not the one doing it. Cloud, Whatever cloud system. Formation, I think it's called. CloudFormation. Yeah, maybe it's yeah. CloudFormation. But uh, one of the guys who works at Ugescape, Matt, is working on that as a project um, to kind of get that more. Because it's a little bit like it's just it could be more automated if it's inside AWS. Sure. So just getting that all set up because eventually like when you get the next generation help spot out, which is going to be a little while from now, but you know, we want to make like the managing of the existing platform a little just more seamless. And, uh, cause you know, over years, basically what we're going to do is like, you know, kind of like what Basecamp did actually, which is like, if you want to stay on the old one, you can just stay there forever and we'll just like yeah. maintain it. So, so we're still gonna have to manage that platform even when the new version's out, we're not gonna just move everybody over. So, um, so yeah, so just spending some time cleaning that up and modernizing it a bit, but, uh, yeah. but yeah, it's even our current system. I mean, it's been, I guess, close to 10 years or around 10 years um, that's been operating and, doing great so chris fidel built that originally way back in the day oh okay yeah and uh now uh matt stenson who works for me kind of manages it and does uh, kind of working on the new next generation so so that. i didn't realize realize that chris was also uh, a userscape fellow yeah yeah he there's a lot of for eight or nine years maybe something oh, like okay that. seven or eight know. years yeah, so yeah, a lot of the Laravel, uh, old school Laravel the OG came, folks. came through yeah. Userscape. Yep, yep. There you go. It's been fun. That's nice. Nice to nice mix. to have. Yeah. 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 It's been fun. So what did um what did switching to Laravel look like for you when you did it? Like did you just adopt it into the existing application? You just kind of like started to bring in the Laravel components? Um, I think very originally there was some of that. And then we did a big project to like basically have Laravel be the foundation, but then kind of take all the old stuff and put it inside Laravel, which was just easier to kind of manage because we didn't even have like Composer or anything. Like it's all pre, mm -hmm. yeah. all that stuff, right? As, yeah, yeah. You know. So this way we could like have Composer and all that. And, uh, but then just have like the function libraries and things from the, OG version still be used without having to like rewrite every single thing. Right. Um, so that's kind of where it is now. It's like Laravel's, uh, you know, it uses like the core of Laravel. It does go through Laravel routing, but it doesn't use Blade. Um, so things like that, where we have some magic and tricks in there a little bit. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we use like Laravel's caching and all those sorts of things come from laravel itself but yeah so it's like you would recognize it as a laravel app on the surface but then when you dig in a little bit there's some special sauce in there mm -hmm. does was the was the app before you made that switch like did you have any tests or any like reproducibility at the time well i guess because you were uh uh What's the word that I'm looking for? You were you were giving the app to your customers. Uh, oh, on premise. <laughs> on premise. There you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you you kind of had to to be able to reproduce the um, distribution of that pretty easily. Um, did were you did you have a good test suite at the time? Did that make it easier to switch? 
Oh no! Initially, way back in the day, there was not much of a test suite yeah. at all. No, for sure. Like, because um, that wasn't even a thing way back in the day, really. Yeah. But no, since it's on Laravel now, there's it still doesn't have as much test coverage as I would probably like. Um, definitely, the new mm -hmm. version will have way more because I'm just doing it from the beginning and all that. Yeah. But uh, but there is way more now than than there was before for sure. And. So yeah, I mean that, that part's good. I mean the, the build system for like on-premise customers and everything has been was been automated for a long time in terms of like building yeah, uh, new releases and packaging them up into different deployments. There's like for a long time we had a Windows installer cuz a lot of Windows customers don't okay. really want to deal with like installing PHP themselves and dealing yeah, with sure. IIS and all this stuff so like it would you know, install the whole HP thing. into IIS and install a database or connect it to SQL Server, or Microsoft SQL Server, and whatever, just do all this Windows configuration. Now we've kind of moved away from that because basically the people who are hosting on-premise now are they're pretty they're pretty knowledgeable. Like if you're hosting yeah. on-premise, you're like a real IT person. You know what's yeah, up. Yeah, for sure. Like, you want to man you want to be able to update your php yourself and things like that so yeah now we've moved away from the installer and just like have instructions on how to you know set up the environment and things like that but uh, for a long time it was more of a middle ground where like people were buying it and just like dumping it on it or and or like it was like some half baked it it wasn't like an actual real internal it and so those folks didn't necessarily want to dig in too deep and also like php and windows wasn't even like a thing it was right very much yeah. not a thing back in the day so it's more of a thing now with like the with microsoft kind of embracing you know when they had uh this kind of change over to being like no instead of like being all on our platform we're just going to be everywhere and we're going to support everything and part of that was like more enhancements for php and things like that so um so yeah so now the windows it people are kind of they're aware of what PHP is at least and might have some experience with it. And if they want to host on premise, they can uh, set it up themselves and then they can manage yeah. when there's a dependency that has a security issue and you want to update or whatever. Yeah, that was, I mean, I, I was just curious because that definitely ha has been one of the biggest pain points for us is, yeah, I mean, we didn't have any tests <laughs> for anything. Right. right? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, like I, I, you know, I, I, I joke like our, I would say millions of page views a month were still running through just like a single like pages.php, PHP 4 file. Right. <laughs> not, not like two, two and a half years ago. It was still just like right. just happily chugging along. But like mm -hmm. the other problem is all of that code was basically all written with like specific path assumptions or uh specific configuration assumptions that i have no idea anymore what any of those right. were <laughs> so like we're in a position where our legacy code base is just like it has to be on this server and everything has to be in, in the exact location that it is right now right. because otherwise <laughs> everything will break you know it's like well i mean you've been running i mean a SaaS like service for like a very insanely long time like that yeah pre yeah. the term of SaaS, i would say right because it was never on premise right it was always no hosted. no i mean yeah we're not you know we operate like a SaaS, but we aren't right because we're a membership organization i don't know uh, we're uh we're a trade association for home inspectors 
Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we started mostly on, you know, membership benefits and uh, like the application process. That was like really what our right. uh, first PHP application was. And, you know, I think if, if you think about like the the late 90s, early 2000s, it was just like, it was just that moment when people were starting to get comfortable uh, doing a little more than just like browsing the web. <laughs> right. right. There was still a lot of, <clears throat> you know, like a lot of hesitation about paying for things on the internet. Right. But right. that was starting to go away. You had to have those big, like, you know, Verisign seals and, uh, yeah. you know, all that stuff mattered a lot. Yeah. But, um, yeah, like we we kind of rolled our own and perhaps you know certainly not the first but like one of the first e-learning platforms that it, that existed on the web like that just wasn't a thing yet you know no and so yeah we like we kind of operate as though we're a SaaS but the business you know, we're model, non-profit not organization yeah. yeah yeah and actually that's so, where I learned the program on the internet was uh e-learning platforms in the late oh really you know 1999 2000 whatever it was yeah. yeah 2001 yeah i mean i i remember like just god wait we could just build what we can just build whatever php just lets <laughs> us you know you got php yep. you got mysql like i can figure it out sure <laughs> like we could make whatever happen crazy Those were it wild, is wild. Times. but yeah the the switch so for, i think because of that the switch for us it just felt like this idea of trying to move the existing code base into a Laravel app or bring Laravel into the existing code base. I mean, we do we do actually have like a handful of Laravel packages. It's, you know, they're like Laravel 5 because that server is still running PHP 7. Mm. Or is it? I mean, I remember upgrading to 5.6 you know was like kind of a miracle and then <laughs> I, I that don't i nobody listen but that might still be running 5.6 i'm right. not sure <laughs> but uh we're you know so we're running some laravel 5 stuff on that mm-hmm. server we kind of like managed to fake you know fake the user model and get right. a little bit of like eloquent and a little bit of uh blade in there which was kind of mm. an interesting experience i i really do appreciate all the work that has gone into like making all those packages independent because you really can just pull in blade and make it work you know right it'll do stuff yeah it will do stuff it will render <laughs> it'll render a page for you yeah, and uh crazy. it's pretty cool to have you know, we the the first piece that we need to implement was basically uh, writing a compatible authentication system, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, essentially, we needed auth cookies from the legacy system to let you log into the modern system, and auth cookies from the modern system let you log log into the legacy system. But once that was in place, you know, now in that legacy code, you can actually like call auth colon colon user and you get back a user model that looks or a a user object that looks like a user model right we have a little bit of that but it's it's minimal and it just felt like it was an easier move to just kind of do that clean split 
Yeah. And it also allowed for a lot of like everything is tested in the new application. You know, like right. we could kind of just adopt all the best practices right. uh, <laughs> from Clean Slate, almost like a greenfield <laughs> application, but just do it piece by piece. And we have to deal with a lot of like ugly models, you know, models that are not necessarily <laughs> you you wouldn't design them that way now but for sure you know there's still eloquent models that look and feel like it right that makes me wonder you talk you've talked a lot about your sort of like old school sequel mindset mm-hmm. how much do you find yourself like wanting to hack models and model relationships do you ever like have you ever written like a custom relationship for Laravel or um, I don't think so. Not like anything crazy no. custom. Like maybe add some some constraints on a model relationship or something like that, but nothing too like if I if I'm in like that zone, then I just all go down to like the query builder directly and just like do whatever I have to do for the most part. I don't think I've ever gone too far into like custom relationships or anything. It baffles me. I like that's something that I want to reach for all the time. And I've never, I've never met anyone else who ever has done it before. Like, I'm just like, <laughs> everybody gets so caught up and like, we're in the mod. We can't leave eloquent. I'm like, whatever, just run the oh, query. Well, like. I, no, I will just, I'll, I'll take, I'll take the time to like build a full custom. Like, you know, I might, I might like extend has many or belongs to or whatever, but I'll actually, mm-hmm implement a full custom relationship that handles all the joins all the like Mm. you know eager versus non-eager versus count like all that context and i i find that it's you know it takes it takes an extra effort to do that work at first but you know like an, an example is we have you know we deal with a ton of state licensing so like states might have multiple licensing departments that issue licenses for um, courses for mm-hmm. inspectors, right? Or issue licenses and have continuing education requirements. And the department might issue a license and then issue education providers, like a providership or something like that. Mm. And um, so a given course through these approvals may have 15, 30 approved departments, right? Departments mm. that approve that course. But it's not just like a, you know, has many through because there are some departments that are blanket approval mm. where every course, like we have a good relationship with the state. Every course that we release is just approved by default. Yep. And there are other approvals that like have some, some additional constraints. Yeah. And so, you know, we have this class that just has approved departments mm-hmm. and it does this bonkers, you know, join <laughs> union, like computed column nonsense. Right. But the result is you can just call approved departments on a course and you just and get, get all the departments that approve that course. And you right. can like load 15 courses with approved departments and you get a nice, really efficient, eager load out of the box. And I, I find that a lot of times taking the time to put something like that together and like staying in eloquent yeah. is really nice. I will, I will say. 
I'm going to have um, to give that some thought here when I hit these things eventually in the next gen here, because like, I guess my initial reaction to that type of thing tends to be like to build an action or something that just handles this scenario and does then whatever it needs to do in its own zone. And then like, I'm just going to call that action and get mm -hmm. whatever I'm trying to get back, but not to extend eloquent in that way would not be my first thought for sure. Um, that's interesting. I do. Yeah. That's interesting. That that's a, one of my, Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. You go. Uh, no, I just, uh, that and circular relationships. These are two things that mm. I find myself just bumping into nonstop. And it just like, I was talking to Aaron the other day. I was like, we should do an episode on circular re relationships. And he was like, I've never, I've never had to deal with that in my life. It's right. like, how, <laughs> how, how is that true? Like, I don't know if I have either. I have to say, I don't know. I must have at some point, maybe. Okay. But a, a user is part of a company, right? Yeah. The company has an owner, right? Yeah. If the if if the user is the owner, I don't want to have to yeah. do like an additional query, right, mm -hmm. to get that original user model again, or even worst case, like you know, imagine that you have like a user and there's like a company memberships uh, pivot table to companies. Mm -hmm. And then the company, you need the owner of the company that's through a company membership pivot back to the owner. Mm -hmm. Like the, the relationship between the pivot has like their relationship to the company, whether it's like a owner or manager or, or right. member. Right. Mm. You know, the way to, to kind of do that efficiency, efficiently with eager loads you're essentially doing like like user with company membership dot company dot company membership dot owner <laughs> <laughs> and you and for a user that's a single member owner right, right you're essentially loading the same user twice the same company twice and the same company membership pivot table twice right and i don't know that drives me nuts but that there's really nuts, yeah. not there's not a clean way to do it because if you try to automate, you know, if you try to automate it, you start to run into like circular reference issues where, mm. you know, if you call to array and like the user references the company and the company references the user, it's just like an infinite it loop. Gets, it gets wacky. Yeah. And I just, it's just one of those things that I'm like, how is no one, how is no one else having this problem? I, don't know. <laughs> I think weird. about it all the time. <laughs> must be doing making exceptions in our database in different ways so that we don't have to deal with it somehow or other we're like no Maybe. we're just not gonna deal with that yeah we're gonna, we're gonna put this data over here instead so it's all uh, in one spot or whatever or we're just gonna deal with the second query um which i try not to do but i uh, mean we do sometimes i, I yeah. what made me think of it is there's just like i was looking at code and it just said there's like a comment above it that's just this query is bonkers, but it's bonkers for a reason. And it was literally that what I just described, like users.companymemberships.company.companymemberships.company.owner or something <laughs> like that, you know, like, and that was the most efficient way to do things. And it was fine. You know, you're loading a couple things twice, but in the end, you know, it's, it, it ends up being like four queries and you're loading three things each time so it's not that big of a deal to yeah. load the data twice it depends where it is it's just for one user you know it's like it's, yeah. it's not something that's getting hammered it's like is it yeah. worth the time to like 
or complexity to make it more efficient or restructure the database or whatever. It's like, eh, probably not. Like, these are all real world apps. This is what I like about talking to people who have real world apps because it's like, no, this is like the ugly thing that somebody did 20 years ago. And like, we're just, it's okay. We're, it works. It's right. Fine. Yeah. Either, <laughs> either we had a good reason to do it that way back then right. or. We didn't have a good reason to do it that way back then, but we did <laughs> it that works. way anyway. Yeah, yeah, it works. It's fine. <laughs> and now, now, like, what are you going to do? There's a hundred thousand rows in this table, and and five million rows in that table, and like, I'm not going to like change it just for the sake of uh, yeah. saying that it's a little cleaner, you know? Yeah, and your data data size is so important with these things because it's like even that's not that much data, you know? And it's like oh, you can yeah. get away with a lot, right? Like with five million rows, like. If you have 50 million rows, it's like way harder. And if you have 500 million rows, it's super hard. Now you can't get away with anything, right? So it's like there's all these different scale issues of like what, Absolutely. what is involved at the different size databases and how much you can depend on like not even caring what Eloquent's doing because who cares? It like returns me back the models I want and doesn't matter how fast it is because it's going to be fast no matter what versus, uh, yeah a bad query obviously on 500 million rows and it's going to be minutes of grinding away yeah i mean people definitely over engineer that stuff all the time because like you know i think we're a pretty successful company we've been around for a long time but our users table only has a few hundred thousand records in it you know it's not like uh even after all these years it's just not that's not that big of a deal you know like the the biggest tables that we're dealing with are like audit logs maybe yeah which get which get pretty big but you know even even the tables that yeah do have millions of records in them like that's that's over dozens of years and like pretty active pretty successful you know product <laughs> it's yeah, and on a modern usually database server dealing, like yeah. that's going to be pretty fast it's probably even all in memory like it's going to be pretty fast Right. Usually you don't have to think about it. Every once in a while, (laughs) we'll bump into an issue and it's like, oh, well, and a lot of times it'll be like, oh, we've been doing this without an index for 10 years and it's been fine, (laughs) but it just got to the point where, oh, this like index that is very obvious should be there. We finally need to add it. And then it's like, oh man, now we have to wait to add an index to, you know, a couple million rows or whatever, but. I love indexes. Indexes are the best. So glorious. Yeah. Magical. Yeah. yeah. It, it, that was a big, that was a big shift was just like, you know, the, the old school, my mindset versus like thinking in at, at like active record style patterns mm-hmm. it was, it was hard to, it was hard to get into that. But uh, I feel like I'm finally there. I'm finally like, I think, think about let's make it easy and eloquent first, not like let's let's join 15 tables together because it's right. slightly <laughs> more efficient, you know? Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, lots of joining back in the day for sure. Yeah, and most of the time the active record is fine. Sometimes yeah, it's not, but every once in a while. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I know we've been going for a while. Is there? Anything else that you wanted to touch on before we call it? No, I feel like we had, we covered a lot of stuff here. Caching, yeah, we, old apps, eloquent. We we didn't we didn't get. I I'm still not convinced that you've given us your your most 
most uh, terrifying cash situation, but you know, I don't think I'm not there yet. <laughs> See, I have to come back on like in, uh, you know, six months or eight months and we can revisit because see, the thing is I'm only, I'm not really to the, I'm not full on into the ticketing yet. And the ticketing mm -hmm. is where like all the crazy caching is. And so I'm still kind of more on the edges of like the tenants and the users and like lists of labels and like just sure. this like ancillary stuff that's more straightforward. Um, whereas the, the ticketing is not straightforward and has a lot of, complexity and just like you know we're dealing with email and there's millions and millions and millions of emails there'll be billions of emails in here right. and so like that's where it's gonna have to take a lot of thinking through and what what corners are we gonna cut and how are we gonna manage that so i'm not all the way there to, i mean i think i have a good idea we talked about it a little bit here but you know when the rubber meets the road um be a little bit different so sure. i'll have to come back on and talk about what we actually ended up doing there yeah we'll see next february stuff. you'll be like yeah we ripped it all out <laughs> yeah to totally totally possible yeah and how much like i've never had a production app on single store so seeing yeah what that gives us like being a column store database there's some other advantages there so there might be things that we don't need to cache as heavily in certain scenarios and other things we do and it also does right. other stuff. It's way more advanced than my sequel for certain things. So assuming we stay with that even like right now, I love it, but who knows? Like when we get pushed a little bit farther in, maybe I'll be like, Oh, you know what? D don't love it anymore. Yeah. But uh, so far I love it. It's really good, but we'll see. I, I actually did have one other thing that I, I wanted to, to ask you about, but yeah. we can, we can leave it. If you, if no, you I got follow. time. Go for it. Yeah what's uh what's your what's your approach to you know query building like the the this the dynamic you know giving your users all that uh reporting ca capability like is that all homegrown or are you using some library that handles it for you or you know that's something yes. that we've had to had to deal a lot with as well yeah this is so an interesting space it is like and i feel like there's not that many apps in some ways that really have to do it so there's not a lot of really great libraries out there i mean if you have some i would love to hear them um, but no you know in in current help spot like all homegrown like mm -hmm. crazy classes that do a lot of crazy stuff to make it all work but and then our own yeah custom coded up like just like a tangled uh, message, you know, the builder UI stuff to build it and subgroup it yeah. and all that stuff. Um, and then Aaron Francis did have a tool for it, but that I know. kind of been put put to the wayside. I am planning on looking at what he did, and I might steal some things from that for sure. But it depends a little bit. You know, we have a lot of complexity right now around custom fields. And so there's just a lot of logic there because like people can build custom fields and then current help spot actually makes a column in the database. And so, you know, there's a table that tracks all the columns that have been made and then we got to loop through those and like, whatever, like your every query like that deals with custom fields has this whole extra kind of path of stuff to deal with. And in the new help spot, that'll all just be in JSON. So mm -hmm. that's going to be interesting. 
So it makes a lot of things a lot simpler, sure. theoretically. But there will be different trade-offs there of like performance. Yeah, indexing so, is a lot trickier there. Yeah, there basically isn't indexing essentially in a multi-tenant yeah. solution. Because basically like you can't like you could build a like a, a index for it, but then like everybody's use case is different. So you can't actually have enough indexes for all that. Or you could make it predefined, like, hey, we're gonna only gonna have 50 custom fields and yep. This these ten are date and these ten are strings and these ten are in. That's what uh, that's what intercom does. You can only have like they just have a hard have so limit. Many. Yeah, yeah. That would be. I mean, that's not totally off the table yet. Um, and you could just have a really and that way I wouldn't even use JSON. I would actually just use because basically behind yeah, yeah. the scenes it just makes columns. So you just have a really wide table. Yeah, which single store does actually have some special support for and compressing when you have really wide tables like that. Really wide tables are super annoying. Like we do have them in current help spot and they like use a lot of extra space and hurts performance in different ways and stuff. And then you also have different limits of like how many indexes you can actually have. Yeah. With current help spot, like you can make as many custom fields as the table allows in width, which is like 300 columns usually roughly, depending on how big they are and different things. But sure. it only allows you have 64 indexes. So you end up having to like, you know, deal with that that yeah um, you have to prioritize things always yeah. yeah which we don't know the priorities so that becomes its own thing yep another so another right good now use case for event sourcing just gonna say is it, how is that how is event sourcing the solution to well this? i mean i think the advantage there is you can essentially just decide after the fact like okay this this tenant you know, is hitting, is hitting these, uh, specific like mm, data points like all the time. It. Yeah. You just, you just build a bespoke custom, right. custom table for them. Yep. And like, it just, it kind of comes for free, you know, like you still mm. have to do the work, but like you could automate a lot of that where if you had decent, decent analytics, yeah, you could just have like a, a monthly or weekly or whatever job that essentially just rebuilds, you know, custom tables for Indexes yeah table for all like your active um tenants and you could even make that like a you know a tiered feature where it's like you get regular performance but if you need like enhanced performance, performance yeah, yeah like well for next generation health spot it's going to be a more traditional multi-tenant situation where everybody's in one database um with mm -hmm. ids and i probably wouldn't want to like break it out that way there so we're just gonna Make it yeah. very performant is my plan, but it's we could an interesting do that. problem. Yeah, we could do the wide. The wide column is like kind of the other option, of course, and then just how yeah. I think that's how like Fathom does it. Also, I don't love it because it's like creates these really artificial limits of like how many custom fields you can have. Obviously, it, it of sucks. different types. Yeah, right. I'm out of my ten ints. Like that's yeah. it, right? It's a problem I have with intercom is like, yeah, you can't because then the the problem is you can't just like throw all your data at it and figure it out right. later, right? You have to yeah. like be really thoughtful about what data you have to know now what data yep. am I going to need in six months for analysis? Exactly. You know, that's where sucks. I don't like that. Yeah. So that's where the help help spot has quite a few customers that are like, we put an unreasonable number of custom fields in there and we're just storing yeah. everything in this way. If we ever need to report on any slice or dice you know, thing with support, we have all the data in there and it's all there. So yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. Like, and uh, there's trade-offs there. I even feel like the JSON columns solve it for the most part, especially with like single store has very fast JSON lookups and things. It's mm -hmm. highly optimized. So that's cool. I think for most customers, it's going to be fine because obviously we're going to limit the scope with other conditions. So it's actually not looking, not table scanning the JSON, hopefully most of the time, but mm -hmm. there will be some elements there where that could happen. So we'll, we'll see, but uh, it's, it's been quite fast and testing. So now would you works. ever consider like pre-computing values? Oh yeah. Yeah. That's happening. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Cause that's, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that doesn't happen in current help spot, but that's like part of the okay. denormalization stuff that we're going to yeah. do in, in next generation help spot. Yeah. So we use, you just kind of have to symphony expression language. Have you ever heard of that? Mm -mm. It's a, it's like a, it's basically just like a simple query language that compiles down to PHP. And it's been like, it, I don't, I don't know that it would work for your use case, but we have a pretty sophisticated custom query builder situation. Um, in our case, you know, because we're we're essentially, I like to say, the core thing that we do is answer whether you did something, <laughs> right? right. <laughs> like we're a certification organization, right. and, but like to be certified, you may have passed three these three courses and like got a certificate from this other like uh, you know live training class or taking these five other like more intensive courses and passed an exam right. or like if you joined before 2015 right. and you took this other course you know there's like there's potentially like 15 paths right so we need to have this like really really complicated logic around mm. what constitutes sort of being uh meeting the requirements of a given program and so we have this really really sophisticated program requirements uh system that comes with that, that we built like a a builder ui for mm. and I, you know i'm just thinking about your use case i'm not sure but what we've been able to do is essentially you know we're solving it kind of like going back to the caching we know mm. what values might change to change someone's eligibility for a given program mm. so when any of those values change, we just queue up a job that pulls in all the potential data out. that they need, runs it through the expression, and yeah. caches the value. And that way, you know, at the database level, we, it's as simple as like there's programs right, and there's enrollment. Flag or whatever. Right. Yeah. And like an enroll, you're either your enrollment is either like in progress or complete. So to know if someone actually like has met the requirements of a program, we can just look, do they have a complete enrollment, right? We don't have to do right. any, we don't have to do any work whatsoever. And instead we've just like invested in making sure that, you know, anytime someone completes a course, uh, we look up all the programs that rely on that course's data and find everyone who has like a incomplete enrollment for that program. And we just queue up a bunch of jobs to reevaluate their, their status. Yep. It's not real time, right? It it it's pretty close to real time. It's usually right. within thirty seconds to a minute because we just yeah. spawn a bunch of jobs and and deal with them in parallel. But um, it's a it's been a really powerful approach, and using something that's like a a full blown language, but is 
you know, the, but it's, it's scoped enough that you're not like dealing with security concerns or like is this part of issues. symphony the framework or it just yeah so it's a it's a symphony yeah. framework package it's called right. expression language i think I'll they use it out. for configuration if you want mm. and they use it in a few places but uh it's it's been like a pretty it's it's been a pretty good tool for us it definitely there are trade-offs right. <laughs> uh, and and the trade-offs are really uh i didn't even think about it but they really fall into that same category of caching, right? Like cache invalidation is hard and this right. is essentially caching values. So it's right, right. You're it's, caching uh, their status. Yeah. But it's it's worth looking into. It's it's pretty cool. Yeah, I'll check that out. I haven't even heard of it. Yeah, I think we'll be doing some I don't know. See the weird thing for us is like there are some things that we're definitely going to handle like that. Like the status of a ticket we do differently now. But going to be more along those lines where like we know its status based on different actions and we can just move it um and things like that but yeah the custom fields especially are trickier because we just don't have any context for what they they could store anything right and we don't know what it means to the organization and things like that so it'll probably have to be more abstract than that but that is along the lines of my plan it's going to depend a little bit when we actually get in there and like throw a bunch of data in there like a ridiculous amount of data and see yeah is the json stuff fast enough that we can just rely on it or should we break it out and like denormalize it into because single store being column store is like super fast if you break it out in tables at aggregating things so i mean that's how a lot of people just use it actually they actually take it out of normal relational databases and break it up and put it in a column store database so that you can run okay we have 20 billion rows like let's aggregate those whatever our aggregate reporting needs are very quickly even over billions and billions of rows yeah so we might do some stuff there the reporting stuff i'm kind of waiting that's going to be more towards the end uh when i get in there but that should actually have some cool over engineering type stuff <laughs> potentially when we get there it's a little tricky because like help spot isn't intercom uh in terms of scale so like most of our customers are you know one person to 200 agents is kind of mm -hmm. like our reign and you know tens of support tickets to you know maybe a couple million a year or maybe 10 million a year at the the high side so you know it's not like crazy numbers in any one tenant where you might have like a big support org that's doing 50 million or something like that but still it adds up over years and years it does add up to a lot for the big customers so we still have to account for that some uh somewhat yeah so we'll see but uh it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting definitely some interesting it's it's just interesting to like knowing so much about the problem space and then approaching it is like yeah really interesting and somewhat debilitating at times because you're like oh man i know <laughs> how hard this is i know yes. that there's no good answer for this yes. anyway so which of these not optimal answers am i gonna choose and then like that grind you down because you're like well, what is the best way to do this nowadays and it's like like yeah. custom fields is like the perfect example there's still no best way to do it like there's still yep. no like everybody does custom fields this way this is like yep. how it works no it's like every all the three or four versions of custom fields are all have horrible terrible trade-offs and that was true 20 years ago when it took me forever to figure out what i wanted to do and it's still true now it's super yep. annoying um yep. that there's not like an answer yet but uh you know, we'll, we'll work it out. Everything's faster now, which does help to some degree. So you can kind of get away <laughs> with some of these JSON like solutions a little more easily right. than 
20 years ago, you could not have done that because it just not for the scale HubSpot operates that because it just would be right destroy the database right but yeah. uh but now it's not not as true but yeah i mean <laughs> like you you also run into that problem that that you know enough you, you're not inexperienced enough to not know you can't do it right right like there right. is that <laughs> i mean there are things i think that if i tr i just wouldn't have even tried to build right. yeah now but when I built them, I didn't know how hard right. it was going to be, right? <laughs> yep. And I just made it work. And in some ways, I'm dealing with the repercussions of that still to this day. But in other ways, that was what helped make us successful, you know? Like, there yeah. is a little bit of a risk in knowing too much. There is. There is. Like, we... and Way back, so I originally learned the program and was using Microsoft SQL Server. Okay. And which even back then was, you know, an advanced database. And then MySQL is way less advanced. And so, but obviously in the PHP space, just like MySQL is what everybody uses. So fine, that's what I was using. But like, I didn't really understand the difference that like my ISAM and like its limitations and it didn't mm -hmm. really, you know, all the limitations of my ISAM and locking and different ways of how it works uh, compared to like a more sophisticated database and or in, in odb that we have now which can do atomic locking and things like that like how my sam would just lock the whole table when it had the right so yep. like very early on like i hit crazy stuff with that because i was like oh like a bigger install like has all these conflicts and timeouts and bad stuff's happening so i had to like optimize stuff to get through all that but it's like yeah it's like you don't even know like here's this huge part of this platform it's going to have all these impacts like didn't even know it was a issue <laughs> and like yeah with customers in there that are like hey it's broken and you're like oh man it is broken <laughs> <laughs> I, we we only switched to InnoDB. i don't know uh, you know we started switching to InnoDB around when we switched to uh when we introduced uh laravel and right. uh, utf8 everything was yeah it wasn't was even latin one it was uh you know it, there was like some other Mm, latin yeah, one familiar. type it was like cp254 or something yeah, some right. something weird, weird yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah character encoding that's like it it looks like ascii it smells like ascii but it's not quite that was the tough. first project chris fidel worked on for us was like i had him on this like death march of like his whole like, like it was like his whole first year it was like rebuild like to build the installer and updater that would take an on-premise help spot install and convert it to utf8 which like basically like we had so rebuild every table like build a whole new database yeah. rebuild every table in utf8 and then move all that data between one to the other and convert it and fix all the weird stuff in between when somebody had non-latin one characters in the latin one table and yes. all that stuff like yeah, yeah it, was, it was a bear doing I, we did that all in this is the only time that i've ever used like mysql functions mm. but doing all of that inside of a mysql function was magical it was mm, it was so easy it was essentially just like mm. it's just you just write an infinite loop of like it's essentially like select insert into select from Right. with like a bunch of stuff before and after to like manage the state mm -hmm. but because it's happening all in database like a lot of the issues just go away and you can just essentially just have it run in a giant while loop that's just like 
as long as there's Crank records that you haven't migrated over yet, just keep on going. Yeah. And then the moment there are records that there are no records that haven't been migrated over, swap the table names, you know, and yeah. like it, it's almost like a hot, hot switch over. It was, it was kind of an amazing cause we were able to switch to NODB and UTF eight. It took All a lot of trial too. and error to get That's there. That's what we did too i think was also in to be at the same time yeah yeah it was and it was even simplified <laughs> because we actually support three database platforms so sql server postgres and mysql mm -hmm. so there was like a bunch of stuff yeah. with that that's a nightmare um yeah that's a total nightmare sas <laughs> is the sas is the way yes we still sell on premise to some hand, hand, you know there's still whatever 20 percent of customers that are doing on premise new customers but oh, okay that's a so lot it's still a thing yeah yeah no, it's, still, that's... it's still a chunk well because if you huh. want to like a help desk app that's on premise like your options are becoming more and more limited there actually yeah. aren't as many like nobody's starting new ones um right and a lot of the old ones have converted to being SaaS only and things like that so right well and especially like a decent one right like right, right. Yeah, yeah with that's actually supported i mean there's some open yeah. source things that have, have no support and things like that but that's not usually that appealing to not for and you know it's like open source is very weird it's one of these things where like everybody all these companies use open source infrastructure yeah for sure like whether it's laravel or obviously like lower level operating systems and everything else and there's either no support or not much support and but it's like everybody accepts that but with end user apps i've found it's not really true like there's not for like any type sizable organization, like nobody wants to be like, we're going to go with the open source CRM with no support. And like, we're just going right. to, that's what we're going to do. Like nobody wants to put their job on the line with that. So it's just not a thing that happens. Like at the very least, it's got to be one that's like, yes, it's open source, but, but you, you can buy support from yeah. the creators or a company yeah. that just provides support around that platform, like sugar CRM or whatever. But uh, yeah. So yeah, I mean that, and that has changed a lot. I feel like, you know, we used to run like PHBB and VBulletin, and uh, right. we ran, you know, all these different, uh, either open source or or uh, or proprietary, but just like, you know, it's it's essentially Mostly just a script that you throw right. on your <laughs> server, and now it's yeah. your problem. Right. Um, you can call that on premise. I don't know if that's exactly right. right. <laughs> yeah, it's on premise, but. Uh, yeah, over the years, it's just like as SaaS uh, has eaten everything up, and you know, and as as we as an organization have have grown, it's just like I don't want any of those headaches, right? Like the fewer Everybody things that I can headaches. deal with, yeah. you got plenty of headaches as it is. You don't need to be responsible I, yeah. for like the bulletin board script that gets hacked or right, crashes right. or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we we pay discourse to just deal with it for us. No, and no. that's fine. I don't love discourse, but I love discourse a lot better than managing vBulletin. I'll tell you. Right. That. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we use discourse for a while. It's, it's yeah. not bad, but it does. A it's not good. Yeah. I, I mean, there's not. I that's that's one of those spaces. I wish there was a really, really, really good bulletin board. Yeah. You know, there's a there's that water waterhole, which is a Laravel based. Oh. Laravel based. Didn't even know forum that. it's it's interesting it's like it's it's built by someone who has like a, a pretty strong background in a prior uh i can't remember what it's it's not one that i had ever ever used but it was a mm. relatively popular piece of software 
mm-hmm. they went out, I think, tried and, and co-started a product called Flarum, hmm. which still exists too, mm-hmm. but it's like an open source PHP forum software that uses a lot of the like illuminate components but is not a laravel app Mm. and i think that he at some point just decided like actually i'm just gonna build a full-blown like laravel package that you can just install in an existing app Mm. it looks it looks promising but i'm Mm. never gonna use it (laughs) right you're not gonna bother switching over like no no the the migration i've migrated hundreds of thousands of posts multiple times between PHPB to vBulletin and then vBulletin to Discourse. And I hope to never do it ever Those again. days are done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's not a fun migration. Don't yeah, luckily the, and... the Discourse one was mostly uh, was it mostly their problem. But It was figured out, yeah. Yeah, we had to, we still had to do, we still had to do a surprising amount. That's, I think that's actually one of the very first things that, Daniel worked on when he started at InternetGee hmm. was basically migrating thousands and thousands and thousands of old PHBBB uh, posts that like still existed in a table somewhere <laughs> to right. back, like uh, back Dig him up the and, discourse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a nightmare. It's real world stuff. That's what happens real world in real stuff. business. Yeah. Yep. You got to You just got to live with it. Sometimes you got to go down into the mines and, do what you gotta do yeah but it's fun i don't know i i love i love um i i love modern development you know it's fun to think about back in the day but just Uh, we come a long way the tooling that we have the the fact that yeah like you can just say ah things are fast enough i don't have to worry about it you know (laughs) like yeah it, sure a couple million records is nothing now right right and uh just all the all the tooling that we have i mean especially in the laravel ecosystem it's yeah. it's amazing it really is like makes a huge difference it, it really does um so i wouldn't i wouldn't give it up all the all the testing and ci and you know it's it's great but yeah. uh it's not always it's not always exactly like that <laughs> <laughs> there's still some weirdness that creeps in here and there yes indeed yeah if, if you don't have weirdness that's crept in you haven't been around long enough right yeah you're probably not that successful really that's the, <laughs> that's the real takeaway yeah there you go all right well we're we're close to two hours there we go i think we gave this everybody some listening i had i had a really good time thanks for uh thanks for hanging out yeah, thanks for having me on. I'll come back uh, in the future and we can get into some uh, ugliness that actually ships. Yeah, I, I I would love that. The follow up, the follow yeah. up. Let's uh, we'll wait six months and see where you are. Yeah, All right, nice. Thanks. All up. right. Now that I'm doing video, I still, it's like, you know, we used to just bob our heads while we were listening to outro music, but now people are watching us bob our heads. (laughs) All right.